in a world crying out for a top 10 show. John Roca and Matt Nost are here to bring you the top 10. Take it away, boys. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Top 10. I am John Roca. And I am Matt Nost, and for some reason, my camera would not adjust its white balance, so I am an, an apparition here. Jesus Christ. Well, let's say, there it there is. There it is. <laughs> no idea why it was doing that, but okay. That's unsettling. Uh, that is unsettling. Yeah, a little bit. Welcome into uh, the Top 10. This is a weekly show that we do. Uh, it's a movie-based discussion. We base it uh, this week. It's on a Boss Hog suggestion. Yes. And uh, looking forward to it. Um, dude, uh, how are you How are you holding up with the news that the FDA is going to ban Juul uh, cigarettes? Because I know most people don't know this, but the outlaw vapes. <laughs> He's picking the vape. Let me tell you something, Pally. There's nothing when you're doing as many shows as I do, you you you, you have the precious time to yourself. And when you light one of those, uh, I don't even know if you light one of those, whatever you, you, you strike up one of those vapes, it uh it makes all the difference in the world. Let me tell you. So to have that taken away from me, I don't know where I'm gonna find release. What's, I might actually have to start working out again, Matt. It's been what's five your years. flavor? Do you go with the flavors or you just try and go with like some sort of natural cherry, tobacco? Cherry lime. Cherry. Oh, cherry lime. Yeah, yeah. Nice distinct flavor there. It's a stings sure. the nostrils, so to speak. Uh, I don't know why the FDA banned it. I just saw the headline and I was like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. What a, what a dumb thing to ban. Like they're like, oh, it's affecting the kids or whatever. But like, is there ever, is, do they, how do they have indisputable proof of that, but not of other stuff affecting children or other stuff? You know, I don't want to get too political, but other stuff affecting uh, our world. But somehow these cigarettes are the issue. So, uh, well, the FDA is its own governing body. So, a different subset of the government and they have certain autonomies fair enough so fair enough. i mean they've already been looking at these things for a while just i guess they've done independent research yeah is that what you're saying um yes sure <laughs> once again i have not read the article. i just saw that headline and i was like oh yeah. okay that does not affect me in the slightest i do know some people that vape but yeah i still know a bunch of smokers so yeah. Well, do you really? Oh, I don't know many smokers at all anymore. Yeah, wow. I still know quite a few smokers. Wow. It's it's dwindled over the years. I used oh, to know a lot more smokers. Right, right, right. And way back when I was one. Right. Okay, but, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, but I haven't I haven't had a cigarette in uh twenty years, twenty one years. Wow. wow. We're old, John. So. Should, well, no, it's not that. It's more a matter of like you really show, you know, having known you for as long as I've known you, you really do show a dedication. Once you're done with something, you're done, you know, and not a lot of people can do that, especially for years on end, bro. So I think you deserve some, a lot of credit for that, to be honest. Well, you know, it's one of those things of it was really stupid <laughs> that I started and that one was an easy one. Yeah, I'm watching a show right now. You know, I like to watch those old shows. I like, not old, how can I say this? I like to watch shows from other countries, right? And we're watching this Welsh show called Hidden, and the lead character smokes all the time. She's the female detective, 
but she smokes all the time. And it's so quaint because you rarely see that in American shows. And I was thinking as yeah. I was watching the show, I was like, that you would not see this in an American show, maybe on HBO Max or something, but like you rarely see like Bradley Cooper was smoking all through um what was the nightmare alley i suppose but you rarely see it nowadays right the only tv show i can think of is mad men right yeah that was set that's more time yeah. in the 60s yeah, when everybody yeah. was smoking yeah uh and i'm pretty sure they had to fight for that for the characters to oh, be able I'm to sure. smoke yeah, yeah yeah i'm sure just it's kind of one of those of hey, Look at the time era that it's set in. Everybody, right. everybody smoked. Right, right, right. Good point. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a much rarer thing on uh, television. Have you watched The Offer? I just finished that. No, I, I'm, I've got that on. How, how do you say? What do you say? I've got that on the list. That's going to oh, be like a whole away. Saturday for me. That's going to be just sitting down and watching. Can you binge it? Do you feel like it's one you can binge or is it too heavy? Sure. To binge? No, it's not heavy at all. Okay. Um, you know, you can distinctly tell it's from the vantage point of Al Ruddy, the producer. Oh, the producer, right, right, right. But Matthew Goods, Bob Evans, yeah, is absolutely fantastic. Wow, I could watch him do that an entire movie of that. (laughs) It's so fucking good. I didn't, he was awesome in every single scene, it was amazing. Wow. And there's a bunch of other good ones. Uh, the guy they got for Brando does kind yeah, of yeah. actually look like Brando. It's a dude from Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, I saw the scene where he uh, does the audition because they've got him on YouTube. Yeah, that's YouTube. where you're like, holy shit. Yeah, I was blown away because that dude's played for like a kind of a, you know, like a lower status guy on ER. So to see him kind of become become Brando and then become Vito Corleone through Brando was so fascinating. You know, I thought he did an excellent job in that role from yeah, what I saw. Staring at it, going, God, where do I know this guy from? And then <laughs> Catherine was like, Oh, this is a dude from Grey's Anatomy. And I was like, Oh, that's why I would never have been able to pull it. Right. Right. Uh, because I've it? watched a couple sparing episodes here and there with her. Yeah. Right. But I've never actually sat down to watch it. But yeah, I mean, some of the some of the casting is flat out really good. But Matthew wow. Goods, Robert Evans is I mean, just amazing. I saw JT tweet about it, and he said that after he was finished watching the show, he immediately went and watched the um, the documentary on Robert Evans, the kid stays. The kid stays in the picture. Yeah, yeah, which is such a great documentary. And that book, I still have that book somewhere on my shelves. It's a it's a fun read. The dude loves himself, but it's a fun read for sure. Uh yeah, I know it was really good. But I, it, going into it, I don't know why my camera's done this again. Oh no. Um, <laughs> I took a sip of my drink and then it messed up the white balance entirely. You moved. That was the problem. You moved. No idea. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Going into it, I was like, how in the world are you going to do this? Right. How are you going to be able to pull off uh, this story? And it's, it's really entertaining. Yeah. Well, there's so many um, elements to it. Right. And there's so many um, larger than life characters with Coppola, with Ruddy, uh, with Bloodhorn over there at Universal, um, or Paramount rather, with uh, with um, uh, Pacino coming in. I heard the Pacino is good too. That the guy plays Pacino really well. Uh, and then you throw, but you've got a great crew of actors with Teller and Juno Temple and um, mm-hmm. 
Oh, God, what's uh, the what, guy's Fogelberg? Name? Yeah, Dan Fogel. Yeah, and or Fogel um, is that what it is? Yeah, I think it's Fogel. Okay. Yeah, I think you're thinking right. the singer from the '80s. <laughs> Could be. Yes, Dan Dan Fogelberg. Great stuff from Dan mm-hmm. Fogelberg. What if we went on a tangent about the greatest hits of Dan Fogelberg? Um, but yeah, there's so much uh, there to enjoy. I don't know why I've resisted. You know, I think it's my own rebellious nature sometimes. Like when something comes along and everyone's Roka, you got to watch this. I go, ah, I'm going to watch it on my time. I don't like being told when to watch stuff. Sure. Uh, and so that maybe that's why I've resisted the offer. Because I mean, I know I've read just about every fucking book there is, watched every documentary in The Godfather. So maybe there's a hesitation too for myself, like will they get it right? But hearing so many people say such positive things about it, then I guess I will open the door to it. You know, I don't know that they're going for necessarily. We're trying to make the most accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not show. I'm not saying it's inaccurate. It's it's more so just it's a fun journey. Yeah, yeah. And you're there for a good time. Uh good. Yeah, ultimately, it's 10 episodes, and, uh, you know, it's it's nice. It's good escapism. Right. Are they an hour long? Each yeah, episode? they're all like 50 to 55 oh, wow. minutes long, wow, something wow. like that. And how's Rabisi as uh, Joe? Was it Joe Colombo? Joe Colombo. It? Yeah, yeah. Eh, <laughs> it's nothing against him. I just don't – his the voice that he takes on? Yeah. I've never seen that interpretation of Joe Colombo. Okay. All right. Uh, could be. He may, You know, I'm sure he did a ton of research and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but every other representation I've ever seen of Joe Colombo, um, it didn't strike me as that. Although uh, the guy they got for uh, Joey Gallo is pretty great. Oh, really? Okay. Um, right. Shit. <sighs> I guess I'll have to watch it this week because I because I was planning on watching Umbrella Academy season three drop today uh, yesterday. So I want to dive into that, but I I do want to watch the offer, man. So I guess I have to. Yeah, but that. Umbrella Academy, I'm sure, is more. Uh, channel specific yeah but this is more for my personal satisfaction sure. maybe maybe i'll do a review of it or something but it could be fun to to dive into especially because like you now you're like the fourth person that's told me how good it is um, it's so. i mean it's just pure fun yeah yeah yeah. and i've got a, a ton of super serious or uh whatnot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that i'm watching so it was nice to have and i, I probably burned through it too quickly because now wow. i'm back to a lot of the super serious <laughs> which barry was my escape from all that and oh. barry the season has gotten really dark dude this barry season is the fucking best uh it's my favorite season of it's my favorite season of the uh of the um of the three three seasons uh, because of the darkness of it all but also getting uh sally is that her name sally had to go mm-hmm. like to the dark place man i mean her confronting and we don't give away too much but her confronting her former assistant in the elevator, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, man, that was crazy. And then what it leads to in his apartment. Oh, See, I haven't gotten, I haven't wow. gotten that far yet. Oh, you haven't. Oh, fuck me. I'm sorry. I've gotten to the confrontation. Okay. So you saw that. Yeah, I've seen that. Okay. Uh, and then we started watching the offer. So mm. kind of barreled through the offer. Gotcha. Have you watched hacks? Hey, is that your thing? Uh, I was going to watch it. Uh, Catherine watched like all of season one, and I was yeah, like, "Oh, yeah. do you want to watch this?" And she's like, "I've already seen it." And then I just never started it. And okay. then she started season two right when it came out. So basically, yeah. I'm two seasons behind now. <laughs> if I want to start, fair enough. Uh, yeah. But I've heard good things. Yeah, it's good. It's only half an hour too. So if you wanted to catch up, it wouldn't take you that much. Oh, uh, okay. I assume yeah, they'd yeah. be an hour for some reason. No, no, no. They're all like half an hour, and 
her and that's uh, you know here's another one hannah einbinder who's um uh oh god uh, the actress from snl lorraine newman she's lorraine newman's huh. daughter and i had no idea who she was at all un- until i watched tax and then i was like oh my god she's great so her and gene smart have just fantastic chemistry and then what was have you started anything new what's the dark what other dark stuff are you watching is there, is there any other dark stuff you're watching um that you can talk about i mean dipped back into evil that cbs show it's okay. oh yeah 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 uh gonna get uh gonna start that jeff bridges show sometime oh yeah soon. dude saw the first two episodes it's fucking excellent yeah just been finishing off yeah the offer uh right, right. as of late uh i'm trying to think like we finish off a few things whatever we're getting ready to start trying yeah. to think okay oh yeah becoming elizabeth saw the first episode of that that was good what is that becoming elizabeth uh about the uh, english Oh. uh monarchy um oh so documentary or no no no. it's a period tv show oh interesting okay about uh the king has died and elizabeth and her two siblings um right. and her brother becomes king right so then the first episode was basically her trying to figure out what's going to happen to her is she going to live a life in peril et cetera, et cetera, oh. et cetera uh so this is like elizabeth the first is this uh the, the yeah i believe so okay 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 uh, catherine knows the english monarchy much better than i do <laughs> so i'm asking questions while we're doing it i was like okay so what is the relationship over here and she's like well, this this and this because she just loves that stuff yeah do you ever get the eye roll <sighs> no i never get the eye roll. i don't i try not to ask too many questions <laughs> to throw off because i can always just pick up my phone and, and google that as oh, well true you could always do that you're right about that yeah but I don't want to miss it if I am engaged. And it was, yeah. uh, it was good. All right. All right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, what we were just, uh, yeah, we, we, we seen, um, yeah, the, the old man, we both watched that one and liked it, but I don't, uh, yeah, I can't remember what else we're watching. We're just, we're trying to bear. We just finished off something that we ripped through. Oh, the documentary on the Mormon, the, um, FLDS people that's on, um, Netflix, the, pray sweet and obey or something be sweet and obey it uh, is fucking chilling documentary about that dude who abused uh, all those underage girls and he's still somewhat in charge of the fucking organization even though he's in jail it's insane man it's such a great documentary um man i can't remember what else we told her because she gets mad at me oh peaky blinders we finished off season six of peaky blinders mm. in like two days she got really fucking mad at me because i was like i want to finish this and she likes to take her time, like two episodes a night. I'm like a drug addict, man. I'm like, I got to finish. I got to finish. So, Yeah, I bailed on Peaky a while ago. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Too fantastical for you? I ended up only really liking a couple of the characters. Oh, okay. Fair enough. And then Fair enough. Arrest, a lot of the extended family, I'm like, you, you can get rid of them. I was sad to see his sister go. Right, 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 right. It, you know, but it's unfortunate real life. No, it was, uh, it was his uh, aunt, his aunt. Or his yeah. aunt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. More like a sister, let's be honest. <laughs> sure, age-wise, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, God, she was only 52, man. Cancer, fuck. Yeah. Woof. It's a tough situation. Did you see the Big Con the no, documentary? No. I told her we're watching that. That's it's, on the list. That's interesting. Good? It's okay. fun. Cool. It's, like, it's not dark or anything. It, right. Like, uh, yeah, we saw the trailer. I was like, oh, we got to watch this one. We got to watch this one. Um, yeah, I think it's like three, four episodes, and it's right. done. 
on Peacock. I think it's yeah. on Peacock, yeah. That sounds right. And then the yeah, did you watch the did you watch the Netflix one about the pilot in the South, the missing pilot? He was essentially like kind of the American made pilot from that Tom Cruise played. No. Fucking intense little thing, man. Craziness. A lot of twists and turns. It was like three episodes. So but it was pretty cool, based on true story too. So it's like, well, yeah. I like it. Um, what else is going on, man? Uh, you preparing for the draft tonight? Your bulls? Uh, any thoughts here? Any thoughts? <laughs> no, no. I don't. Yeah, I don't watch college or any of the rest because I don't. I don't know who. Obviously, I know who the top three, four guys are supposed to be. Yeah, but yeah. I don't have an opinion about them because I've never watched them. I, I, I've seen Paolo play two games. Yeah, yeah. Seen some highlight. Like I watch a little bit here, or there. Chet. I don't know anything about Jabari, or Ivy. Yeah, or yeah. anybody else. So. I don't have an opinion. Okay. Other than the, I am intrigued by Chet because there hasn't been a white All NBA player since Larry Bird that I can think of. Wow. A white American. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, 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 right. Because so, yeah, yeah. He's gonna go either two or three. It looks like. Looks like Jabari Smith is gonna go number one to Orlando. Two is gonna OKC, and they're gonna take Chet. Three is gonna be Paolo. Yeah, yeah. That's the last projection I saw. Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. But um, Doncic is not. I keep forgetting Luca's not American. I mean, as if the no. name couldn't give me give it away. I, I yeah. Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, Nash Jokic. Kid. Yeah, yeah. None of them are American. So the last Hito. white American, Hedo Turkoglu. Yeah, Hedo Peja. Peja Stojakovic, man. <laughs> Oh, I used to love saying that name. Stojakovic, downtown. His son is like 17 and what? he's got a shot at making the, the league. Get out of here. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. I guess he can, like, he's he can shoot. Good I haven't seen anything. I just heard that uh, from a friend. We were talking about yeah. it the other day, and he's like, oh, his son. And he started going off about it. I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Did not know that. All right. I, I did not know that. Um, shout out to Drew Enns. Shout out to James Petty and Sam Fernando who's in here. Sam coming after me saying, are we going to address John Slander against Michael J. Fox? LOL. Last episode, he said Fox was terrible at playing the guitar. Dude can definitely shred. He can play. His name is Michael J. Fox. Do I really believe he can shred or he used to be able to shred? I don't know. Can he shred now with his Parkinson's? I don't know how that works. Shreds even more. You never know where those fingers are going to be. I don't know. I, that's your job. I'm not getting involved. In that. Oh, that's fine. I, I think he'd be perfectly fine with that joke. And if he's not, Mike, you can find me on social at Mad Nose. Let me know. Let me know. <laughs> well, he just got nominated, or he just got to, um, they just announced that he's going to get an honorary Oscar, Michael J. Fox, with the Herschel Award, the Humanitarian Award for all he's done for uh, Parkinson's and whatever, and what have you. Sorry. That's good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, his he never really got Oscar caliber roles. Yeah, yeah. So it's a nice way to honor a guy that's been in the business for four decades. Yeah. And, I mean, look, there are people – I mean, obviously, Back to the Future is a massive, massive franchise still in a lot of people's minds, and new generations discover that franchise all the time. So, um, and yeah. And – um Somebody corrected you on the blues guitars, Robert Johnson. That yeah, was- it was Robert. As soon as I saw it, I was like, I can't believe. Yeah. I just wrote down Muddy Waters. I was like, of course, that's right. Yeah, but <laughs> it was uh, Mr. Tully, something like that yeah. on Twitter. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. Uh, there you go. Yeah, Correct. it was 100% Robert Johnson. Yeah. 
So there you go, making the deal. Um, but all right, today we, we've been jabbing, jabbing already 20 minutes. Let's jump into the show, man. Today we're talking about the top 10 monologues in movies. Who uh, who suggested this one, Matt? Do, you, do, do we have it? Well, the man that you owe an apology to, Sam Fernando. Oh, it was Sam. No wonder he's joining us live. Oh, uh, all right. All right, Sam. All right. He's the one, yeah, that sent it in. So okay. we've got his list mm-hmm. to read at the end. And we obviously have uh, ours to go through as well, but it's a uh, a great uh, selection. So I'm looking forward to what yeah. you come up with. And I left uh, one or two big ones off my list, assuming they'd be on your list so we could pepper oh. around, maybe have more of a discussion. It's a little cra- you like to play that game. You like to be crafty like that. Okay. All right. Well, why not? Otherwise, we're just going to discuss like, you know, six, possibly seven of the same movies. Well, that's the authentic way to do it, I would think. No? All right. Uh, true. But there's, it's not like these yeah. others are undeserving of the discussion. That's a very good point. That's a very so. Good point. All right, might as well have a, a wider ranging one. In, sure. in my opinion, I, sure. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so Sam sent us a topic. We went our personal ways, created individual lists. Show back up here. I do my bottom three. He does his bottom three. I do my next two. He does his next two. Then we trade one apiece. Once we have revealed our personal top ten list, we create the shows between the two of us. Kaboom. Um, go ahead. So what do you got at 10 oodles to choose from, but at 10, I'm going to go with, uh, uh, brick top from snatch. Oh, good monologue with the nemesis into oh. the pigs eating yeah. a 200 pound man. You need 16 pigs and you need to starve oh. them for a couple of days. Yeah. And then the, they can get through two pounds of flesh a minute. Hence the expression greedy as a pig and you still look on their faces where it's like there's three dudes there. One knows who he is, and the other two are like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and he just commands the room by unrelentingly just talking yeah, 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 yeah. in a slow, methodical pace. And then uh, you can just feel his over-the-top presence. I wish he had yeah. gotten longer yeah. and more monologues in the movie Yeah, because he's just a fascinating guy. Uh, I realize it, within the the movie the guy Richie had structured, you have to bounce around because there's just so many characters and storylines that are yes. intersecting that it makes it a little bit difficult to do that. Yeah. Um, but boy, I would have taken a nice big longer chunk of Bricktop. There's he's also mu- he's much better than the antagonist in the first movie, he, and he is in the first movie as a bartender, Bricktop, the actor who plays Bricktop, and he's much better in the as an antagonist in the second movie, right? Because in the first movie, that guy, Harry, yeah, he's scary, but it's more the governor who looks like, you know, that guy could tear you apart physically, piece yeah. by piece. Um, but with Her- with uh, Bricktop, he's the one who's essentially doing both, you know, verbally the muscle and um, overtly the muscle and being in charge of that whole crew. So, yeah, that's a great choice, man. I love that monologue. You're, oh, fuck, I should have thought of that monologue. It's so good. And... Like he keeps his eyes wide open the whole yeah. time. And he's when he talks, he shows full teeth to like accentuate. Yeah. In in lesser actors' hands, it'd be overacting and he'd be chewing scenery with all yeah. this. And for some reason, it just fits the character that he's he molded for Bricktop. <laughs> you know, drinking or smoking or whatever, yeah. the affectations that he's created for the character. When uh, he peeks in to the door and he's like, just looking around, yeah. it's so weird, man. It's so good. 
Do you know what Nemesis means? Oh, such a good. That's on the soundtrack too. If you guys ever buy the soundtrack, so I, I used to play little snippets from the soundtracks on the, when I was driving around because I love that. It's, okay, it's a good one. Yeah. Let me tell you something. This list was fucking fucking difficult, and I think Matt, it's the toughest list we've done in the show on my end for years. I mean, years. I have not struggled to cut this down to 10 and battled internally with myself with my choices. And I just wanted to get that out right now before we get too deep in the list. Uh, honestly. So Sam, it was a great suggestion. This is the most challenging list I've put together in years for this show. And I'm still not happy with my list. Me I still don't know if it's the right top 10. I, I know I'm forgetting things. Yeah. 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 Uh, Cause I went through initially when we got it from Sam and I immediately thought of three. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then those made it on the list. And then after that, I spent a couple of days yeah. of just going through my head and then doing, I started searching actors and just going through their IMDb filmography going, this person always commands. Yeah. yeah and just yeah. looking at the movie and trying to visualize, was there ever just them giving any kind of monologue? Yeah. And even going that route, I know I screwed up. I know there's somebody I'm missing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some amazing. So hopefully you have it and we've got. We'll see. A bunch of wide array. Hence, I included Snatch for that. Just like, I don't, I, yeah. I, I could put other things that technically might have a more dramatic effect or something, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just to mix it up a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Uh, at nine, I have something you definitely don't have. Okay, go ahead. Which is uh, Lincoln. Oh yeah, no, I don't. Even though I, I could watch Day Lewis do Lincoln all day long. It's great Moloch. There's like four of them in there. Yeah. Depending on whichever one. The easiest one I think to gravitate towards is towards the end of the movie when he's telling his cabinet, I need mm. these two votes now. Yeah. Like I am uh I have immense power as the president of the United States. And I know that slavery is what is the ill of this country, and we can fix this for yeah. You know, for for all time, we're out on the world stage right now, and I just need two votes, and you need to go procure me those votes. But he gives a nice speech there. There's another one where they're shelling the the fort. Yeah, and he gets up to tell a story of I can't remember which general it is, but or which which former officer, but mm-hmm. he's over in England, and they put a picture of George Washington above the commode. <laughs> And the officer, whoever the statesman was, goes to the bathroom of the Englishman, comes back and they sit down. And the English aristocracy are all like, <laughs> like giggling to themselves at the fact that George Washington's uh, picture was above the commode. And he's like, yeah. well, of course it is. Nothing makes an Englishman shit faster. <laughs> there's that one. There's Euclid's principle when he's talking to a young Adam driver. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's right. Adam's in that. I forgot. Yeah. Well, they just turn around. He's like, oh, you're an engineer. And uh, I think he's talking to the other guy. Not Maybe it is to Adam Driver. Yeah. But that's where the uh, truths are self-evident comes from Euclid's yeah. uh, theorem. Um, there's several in that movie. But once again, I could watch Day-Lewis. M- much like Matthew Good. Yeah. I could watch Day-Lewis do Lincoln. I wish he'd do like a... Val Kilmer does Mark Twain. <laughs> Just tour the country as Lincoln. I would watch the living shit out of that. You know, why not? I mean, what the fuck else is he doing? You know, it's not like it's it takes a lot of time it, between films, though, Matt. You know, so why not just kind of walk around? Isn't he retired? 
officially That's, at this point. Nah, they all say that shit. They're retired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like Tar- next film is Tarantino's last. I'm like, yeah. I don't believe you in the slightest. The only person I've ever seen say they're retired and stay retired is uh, Je- as, uh, uh, Gene Hackman. He has never come back to do anything. Not even a voiceover. So him, I believe. But most everyone else, I do not believe when they say they're retired. They're just waiting for the right project. Maybe they burnt out and just need some time off. It's understandable. Mm. It's somebody at that kind of level. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're constantly chasing and constantly worrying about this person getting that. The insecurities that Sally shows in Barry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like when Barry gets that movie role straight to director where he's got to go in an audition and her saying, I'm really happy for you, but just upset Yeah, that he got to jump so many different steps in the process. Yeah. And then Henry Winkler's look too of like utter shock and almost disgust of, I can't believe you, one of the least talented people in my class has gotten this. But that's that's what's so great about the show is the randomness of it all. Because that's how Hollywood actually is. It's totally fucking random. You just have no idea. Yeah. And you got his role with it. You know, someone who looks like they're they're never gonna do anything all of a sudden comes out of nowhere. And then the other and then vice versa, too. Cause you may see it one way and they may see you another way, and you just never know. So and I think the show tackles that so well, which just you know, there are times when I'm watching Barry and I gotta stop it because I can't. It's P like PTSD. I've said that it's PTSD, man. I can't watch it. It's, oh, you know, it's like going back to something I hated, you know, experience I hated rather. You ever, have you ever heard the Chris Pratt story of how he got his first gig, his first acting gig? No, no. Tell me. So he was a waiter in Maui mm. in fucking Hawaii. And there was really? a director that happened to be eating at his restaurant. Jesus. He was waiting on him and was like, you should audition for my movie. Yeah. And ended up auditioning and got the part. And then they flew him to L.A. because he he was like, I was going to turn down the part because he didn't have the money to fly to L.A. And they're like, right. we'll, we'll fly you to L.A. That's that's <laughs> fine. And he flew to L.A. and then started acting. But that's, that's the randomness of right place, right time, pure happenstance of, hey, this guy's really engaging. You should, you ever thought about doing this? Yeah. Wow. Uh, that was Hemsworth. Is that what you're saying? Hemsworth? No, Chris Pratt. Oh, Pratt. I thought Pratt. Oh, so that's how they booked him in. T- really? Whatever his first movie was. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I always thought I it was, was Zero Dark Thirty, but you're probably, I'm sure you're right. It was like something. No, because he did oh, like a CW show. I remember yeah. him before he did Parks and Rec. You're right, man. I didn't, you know, I didn't know him until Parks and Rec. So, yeah. Me either. I didn't have the slightest clue, and then you start seeing those. Yeah. Oh, so and so was on this before, right? You'd never seen, and then you like, oh, he was on a like a CW esque show. I don't have the slightest clue what it was. Oh, maybe it was the Extreme Team from two thousand three. What his first movie? Yeah, maybe a a secret Black Ops rescue team made up of Gen X extreme sport athletes go to New Zealand to save a former member. Sounds about right. A nineteen year old waiter. Yeah, Yeah, right. Eric Mabius is in this. Yeah, he's like fourth billing, dude. With Bai Ling. Oof, Bai Ling. Yikes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, Hemsworth was going to leave. He was done. Can you believe that? There was a time where Hemsworth was sleeping on people's couches because he couldn't get anything. Uh, and he was going to head back to Australia <clears throat> and got, you know, got Thor. Thor was the thing that pulled him out of obscurity, man. 
then I was I was just, I was watching or listening to uh, the you know the podcast that um, Arnett and uh, mm-hmm. Bateman do with uh, what's his face from Will and Grace Jack something Sean Sean Hayes Sean, Sean Hayes Sean Hayes yeah 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 and they had Cooper on there and Cooper was talking about it you know and he gave so much credit to Arnett who changed his life he said you know I was just I couldn't handle the Hollywood thing I'm so depressed he said girls would I couldn't get a date I couldn't buy a date bradley cooper i couldn't buy a date um and he said i was just so like just overrun and overwhelmed by the hollywood system and i started doing coke and i started being this asshole and uh it was will arnett who came to me one morning after a night of me doing it and uh all and he said to me like you know how how'd you how do you think you uh, it went last night hanging out at the party he's like i had a great time it was a great time he's like really how do you think you were he's like oh that was fun what, why he's like because everyone thought you were an asshole and Here's the situation. And he explained all this shit to him. And Bradley said that's the that's how he got off Coke and kind of turned his life around, that he'd been hiding from this shit. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he decided, okay, I'm going to stop doing it and really focus on trying to create either either a, a fail or succeed doing it, giving it my all. And um, it's fascinating stuff. And then he talked about how he ran into a famous director who said it was ridiculous that he has three Oscar nominations or seven Oscar noms total, uh, while this other person has only three. Um, oh yeah, because that's how it works. Yeah, right. Exactly. Merit. In it, exactly. It's a meritocracy. I had heard that about Hollywood. It is and it isn't. It, it right. Exactly. Depends on the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then he said there was some female superhero person who came up to him and said something about. Um, scoffing the fact that he got a nomination, called it a nom. So I just wonder, I was like, in my mind, who could that fucking be? Is that Brie Larson? Because I've heard some stories about her uh, razor sharp tongue, or is it Natalie Portman? Or who could it be? I wonder. So just in my head, yeah, I'd be hilarious. I see, I'd be surprised if it was the former, Mm. maybe not as much on the latter. Okay, fair enough. Just on the outside looking in, yeah, all right, no idea. Never met either of them. Haven't heard any stories. Don't yeah. know anything about them. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, truth be told, who knows? Interest- shockingly, it was Evangeline Lilly. <laughs> Dude, I would be very shocked if it was Evangeline Lilly. Shocked. Although she's been very vocal lately about a number of things, so maybe not so shocked. But uh, she seemed to be a you know kind of a person who hated the Hollywood system, so I'd be real surprised if she'd be so judgmental of people. You ever seen the clip of her on like a one nine hundred? Oh yeah, yeah, the commercial she did. Way yeah, back yeah, yeah. Then. I remember when that got big, right when she had lost, yeah, that and that started weird. circulating online. And I was like, "Oh shit, she did one of those." Or it's nothing scandalous. It's like oh. her on a couch with a fireplace in the background, and be like, "Do you yeah. just want to talk? And just <laughs> give us a call. We love to talk." Type of nonsense. Kids, before there was uh, internet porn. Yes, yes. You had to call. You could call. A, I never. I've never done it. I don't understand the appeal. Neither do I. This weird. But to each their own. Well, uh, I mean, but you probably didn't lack for attention from women, Matt. I'm sure you. Please. I'm not saying you weren't. A leth- I'm not saying you were a lethario. Maybe you were. I don't know. But it wasn't like, you know, you couldn't get a date. I think those are for people who cannot was get a date at all. a long time in my life where I was fat and alcoholic. You think I was pulling down ladies at that point? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Fat guys can be quite resourceful sometimes. I don't know. They They can be. <laughs> More often than not, no. But you were skinny fat. You weren't. No, no, no. I was fat, fat. Really? 
Okay. Yeah, it was fair enough. The most I ever technically okay. The heaviest I allowed myself to ever get on a scale. Yeah. Put it that way because I'm pretty sure I was heavier and I just couldn't fa- face getting yeah. on a scale to see yeah. it. I was either 230 or 235. What? And I'm wow. Since you've known me, the skinniest I've been is about 165. I'm probably about 175 right now. That's crazy to me, man. The 235 is like, that was like probably my weight when we first met. 230, okay. 235 probably. Wow. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Who, I know. You or Ellis? Who was fatter? You or Ellis? Oh, only- I was fatter than Ellis. Wow. Okay. Um, That's incredible. See, once But he's more- in better shape now, so. Oh, yeah. From his videos. Mr. Mr. Box Steps. Look, he is. I know he's in better shape uh, now. I, I've yeah. seen myself without my shirt on lately, <laughs> and you know it's yeah. definitely one of those of. It's been like the last in the last three or four months. I put on a bunch of weight out of yeah. nowhere, uh, and out of nowhere, I ate dessert every night for like <laughs> six weeks straight, and I'm not kidding. And then suddenly, I was like, "Man, I'm putting on weight." And be like, How's "You think it's happen- all the fucking dessert, asshole?" <laughs> Probably, maybe, but yeah, eating uh, cake and oh yeah, fucking ice cream and dates and oh dates, mm. yeah, make them here at the house, delicious. Oh my god! Problem is, is like every date is twenty grams of sugar, and I'll have Oof. five. Oof, yeah, right. Well, they don't; they're not filling. So you, I, you could eat more. I could eat ten. Yeah, but you got to stop yourself. You could lie to yourself and be like, well, they're all natural sugars. You know, it's not like the refined, terrible stuff. And be like, it's still a lot of sugar. It's still a shitload of sugar. It's refined. Um. <laughs> anyway, where are we at right now? Number nine? My number eight? Eight. Okay, good. What's your eight? Uh, it's probably a punt. Okay. Uh, a few good men. Uh, no, not even on my list. That's what I'm okay. telling you. This is the most difficult list I've ever put together. Go ahead. Or I thought about keeping it off, assuming you would have it. Mm-mm. Because I was like, ah, this seems like a one everyone would have. He's overdoing it in the sh- in the scene, in my opinion. I've seen better monologues from Nicholson, but sorry, go ahead. Actually, I think Tom Cruise might be overdoing it a little too oh, much. That's not a that's not incorrect either. Yeah. Did you want the code? Yeah, exactly. Ah, and the, the Nicholson like his frustration of you have no idea what yeah. my job is, and. I believe the the soldier's name was Santiago. Santiago, yeah. And if if one soldier has to die, as unfortunate as that is, it maintains the security of you, me, and everyone else we know by his one death because it keeps order in line. Right. And it keeps, you know, just the chain of command and what is expected of you in the military if you're going to be defending your fellow man. Uh, so his frustration boiling over in that moment, yelling at his eyes at this dilettante that, yes, you may wear a uniform, but we're not cut from the same cloth. Right, right, right. Uh, you've never had to do the things that me or my men have had to do. So you can just shut up. (laughs) Uh, yeah, you went through boot camp. That's where it ended. Um, you know, it's kind of like, uh, Tom Cruise in, um, uh, edge of tomorrow yeah 
Yeah. He's more media personality who technically went through boot camp, but he's just like, Hey, I smile. You know? So when Gleason drafts him into, no, you're going to be on the front lines. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, <play it." laughs> Hey, you know, realizing he's not the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I buy into Colonel Jessup, I believe is the yeah, character's Colonel name. Yep. Um, couldn't tell you Tom Cruise's character's name though, for the life of me. I can remember Jessup. I can remember Santiago. Something P. with a P, but I can't remember. Couldn't tell you. Those are the only two that I can remember off the top of my head. Shit, now you're going to make me look it up. Cause I got... Hey, I'm Demi Moore, Kevin Pollack, Kevin Bacon. Couldn't yeah. tell you any of their names. The other soldier with Santiago, I might be able to pull. Well, Santiago's dead. Santiago, yeah. Yeah. But there was the other... The, the black guy and the white guy. Yeah, the yeah. black guy and the white guy. Yeah. The white guy is from Gladiator, the boxing film. Yeah. And then the black guy, I don't know I can place him in anything else. No, he has, he doesn't he didn't do much after that. I, I remember auditioning with him for a commercial years ago. He came in and I was like, what the fuck? And I looked at him, I said, Yeah, you You know, and he was like, Yeah, man, we all got a fucking struggle. We all got to fight. I was like, Oh man, well, I loved you and a few good men, man. I'm honored to be doing a scene with you. He was like, Yeah, yeah. He's a really nice guy. Um Daniel Caffey, that's his name. Uh, Tom Cruise's character, Daniel Caffey. Doesn't even ring a bell. <laughs> I just remember Jessup and Santiago. It's all bells and whistles. It's all bells and whistles. It's Tom Cruise in a, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah I don't know that he, I buy him. It's, I, I buy him as Tom Cruise in that role. I remember J.T. Walsh. You know, uh, him. Ooh. Remember? J.T. Walsh. Yeah. He's a great character actor. I love the character actor. Because J.T. Walsh and M. Emmett Walsh, two great character actors with the same last name. No relation, but with the same last name. Always showing up at stuff. It was great. Um, okay. So then mine, uh, should we move on? Yeah, sure. Okay. So then my number 10 is uh, the opening of Patton. I thought about it. It's on my side list. Go for it. I love this. I mean, as a military guy, dude, I mean, how can I not love this? Plus, I love George C. Scott. Plus, I want to make sure people understand it's a very anti-war film. People think it's a film that glorifies war. It's quite the opposite. And the monologue is one of the elements of the anti-war because he's talking about the things you got to do. But, but as he goes further and further into it, you're, you know, he's essentially telling you you have to be a bloodthirsty killer in order to win a war. So it's pretty unsettling the things that you hear Patton saying. And in the end, of course... Patton shoots himself in the foot constantly with self-destructive, stupid, careless shit, and then cries about it when he finally gets called out on it, um, when he loses everything in terms of his status and his position, um, and is basically sent back to live out the rest of his time in the military as kind of a peacetime guy, which drives him insane. Uh, but it was his own fault. But you hear the beginning, this grandiose monologue. And by the way, this is Coppola wrote this monologue. Um, it's, which uh, is great. And him just going, talking about all the things you got to do and, you know, all and the love he has for the soldiers, all that comes through really powerfully. But the, the backdrop of the American flag and mm -hmm. everything like that, when you put your hand in a pile of goo, they used to be your best friend, you'll know what to do. You know, that kind of thing. And just a really great opening monologue that establishes the character, establishes the mood of the film and establishes what you're going to be seeing before you get into the movie. So I love that. Yeah. To see from that to set up Pat, and then you see the progression of the character. I yeah. love it when he's in the, the tent dealing with hurt soldiers and he just yeah. can't even fathom 
what you know the the idea of PTSD, which was rebranded as something else or had a former name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was originally shell shock, and then shell it shock, became yeah. something yeah. else. Yeah, and then now we know it is PTSD. Right, right. Uh, but not understanding, call like basically you're a wuss. Yeah, you're not out there with your fellow men on the front lines. Like, what is it you can't do it type of situation? Right. right. And the frustration, not understanding that 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 shouldn't exist. Yeah. And then him butting heads with Eisenhower and pretty much everybody else. Yeah. It's very similar to Norman Dale and Hoosiers, right? He when he's talking to Barbara Hershey and he says, "Some when I think about it, sometimes I feel like I can like, like I can stop my fist from hitting that kid." That's how Patton feels for the rest of the movie after he slaps that kid. Like he knows that that's a that's a line that he can't come back from. Um, at the time, I think nowadays you could totally come back from that, but back then you couldn't. And he just kind of references it in certain moments, and uh, he realizes, you know, that was the he let it that um, arrogance or that uh, emotion about war overcome him in that moment, rather than being understanding. And this is a guy, by all accounts, who loved his soldiers, loved his soldiers who served under him, and so it makes it even more. Just like Norman Norman Dale says, "I loved everybody who ever played for me." He's the best best guy that ever played for me, but I but I punched him, you know. So yeah, it's that thing. You can get caught up in it, you know, the hubris. Um, all right. So my number nine, which I was really surprised that it's this far down on the list, but um, uh, Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction. Uh, technically a slight punt. Okay, fair enough. Then my number eight is Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Dude, punt. What are we doing? Okay, fair. Love it. Love that it's on your list. What are we Go doing? Ahead. <laughs> Seven is uh, walking in pulp. Okay, cool. I thought about doing the two kind of bookended Ezekiel's. Oh yeah, yeah, with Samuel L. Yeah, where the first one is yeah. he is the wrath of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second one is him now after the t- previous twenty four hours that he's gone through just to get this fucking case filled <laughs> with whatever the MacGuffin in, is supposed to be. Yeah, and him now dissecting that phrase just like i thought it was cool before but now i have a completely different vantage point on it and the juxtaposition of those two things uh but within each walkins is more of a monologue yeah 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 yeah. so that's why i went with walkins agreed um i mean it just stops right in the middle all of a sudden just chris walken is only in this movie for this one scene (laughs) talking about this uncomfortable hunk of metal that he hit up his ass for a couple of years because Butch's dad, he made a promise and Butch's dad held it up his ass for how many years? It's like four or five years. Yeah. Four or five years. Something like that. Oh my God. Hiding of at that point. I think you just get rid of the watch and you go and you keep the promise to go and see the kid. Yeah. Maybe in some fucked up way. It's like, um, a way of still being connected to America in a way to keep you that pain is like a way of keeping you psychologically feeling like you're, you're not lost in being a POW. You've still got a mission to accomplish. So that keeps you living throughout your days. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. That's a legitimate, uh, uh, you know, rationale. I hadn't thought about that, but it keeps you grounded and focused on what the job is by this constant reminder. Right, right, right. Um, I mean, can you imagine how many polyps and calluses he's got in his colon? I don't want to imagine that. Yeah. It's just brutal. <laughs> just brutal. 
I mean, he goes in for a colonoscopy and is like, it looks like a catcher's mitt in there. Jesus. It's just, it's so thick. Hey, can you even feel my finger? Are there any nerve endings left in here? I mean, not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not a good thing either. There's so many scratches. You let a wildcat in there? There's so many scratches on the walls. Oh, I've seen this before. This is that gerbil thing. I thought this was only in certain communities. Oh, my God. What did they do to you over there? (laughs) I've heard of Chinese water torture, but what is this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Oh, my. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's such a good monologue. such a well-written monologue. It's one of those monologues, as soon as you see it, when it's over, you're like, that's legendary. That is always going to be something people reference uh, because it's so well delivered by walk. And then he does, you know, the, 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 the changing in the timbre of his voice and the stressing of certain words and everything. It's just so well delivered in the build within it uh, as he's getting more and more agitated by the end wow. of it. About He's it. nice and calm until yeah. he has the memory of his captors yes. and he turns a racist. The tempo of his voice <laughs> changes, yeah. the, the timbre, the tone, all of it. Yeah. Up, damn, if I was gonna let these <laughs> yeah. you get this, and you're like, okay, it just it's such a great little twist on it because yeah. you believe that his character believes, like, yeah. no, no, they will not. Yeah. I will die before they touch this. It's birthright. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, all right, what's your six? My number six is uh the Joker. Oh, uh, when he's sitting down with uh, Murray. Murray, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I almost put that on, but Murray's always interjecting, so I didn't quite one hundred percent consider a monologue. But it's a great choice. I loved it, man. I know what you mean. Yeah, I yeah, figured yeah. De Niro comes in with like basically three to five word questions yeah, yeah, a yeah, couple yeah. times, mm-hmm, and the rest of it is Joker just talking about the indignity that yeah. he lives through, and most of us uh, do, and. You know, would you even step over me if I were lying in the gutter? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you wouldn't. You haven't before. Why would you start now? No one, as cliche as it is, nobody cared who I was until I put the mask on. Right. It really fits the tone of who this Joker is. Yeah. Uh, but him coming to embody the frustrations of an entire group or yeah. class of people yeah, yeah. so succinctly that when he walks out, like the, the riot that's going on pre, but the eruption of individuals after his appearance that he has unfortunately tapped into the zeitgeist in a way that most people wouldn't have assumed existed. Um, But his delivery of that (sighs) and slowly, but surely just boiling over and eventually just can't take it anymore and blows his head off. Yeah. Uh, And then afterwards, just kind of when he stands up and he does a little jig, Like he's Ashley Simpson and forgot the words to a song on SNL. It's just like, eh, eh, eh. Uh, yeah, yeah. It just had it was exceedingly powerful. Yeah, just when you think you've seen it all in a comic book movie, we get something that you've never seen and more and likely won't see again for a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. Although, how long until they remake this? You know what I mean? Because well, it won an Oscar. They're doing the sequel. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just talking about they redo it entirely. This? Oh, I it don't. Won know. an Oscar. 
It did. You don't know. You're right. It did. The the best actor Oscar, sure, and the score as well. But I think you have to finish off whatever Todd Phillips wants to do with this because, I mean, it's already shocking that there's a sequel that this, that's been written. It's shocking that Lady Gaga is going to be in the sequel and it's going to be a musical. Um, that's what they're saying now. So we got to see how more how farther out he's going to go with this character and with this story before we even consider there being a remake of this one. I think it's going to be a while. Maybe, I don't know, 34. We might be dead by the time we see a remake of this one, to be honest with you. Because I don't know how much time, how many more films Todd Phillips has with this character. Yeah, I, I never anticipated it being the same creative group. Yeah, yeah. But given the fact that inevitably all superhero films will be rebooted. Sure, sure. That you would reboot. Maybe not do the exact same, but do a standalone Joker. Oh, a standalone Joker movie. That you think yeah, could get Oscar buzz again. I think that's yeah. inevitably coming. And way to flip me and the, the whole audience off. I appreciate that. What? Oh, when I'm scratching my nose. Oh, you sorry. scratch your nose. Distinct one finger. Oh, you think there's going to be a remake? Uh, what do you think? Uh, All right. Sorry about that. <laughs> I used two fingers next time. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It would be a while. I feel like it's going to be a while. And we'll see. Because it's going to take forever to get this sequel done. Probably another two or three years, I would think. Yeah. I would imagine. So Sounds about right. Because they just finished the script, according to that Instagram picture. Um, all right, that was your six? Yep. All right, so then my number seven is... Oh, by the way, I love that monologue, too, because you know I was re-watching it for the show again, just thinking of my, I might put it on. And the, the build within the monologue, the build within that scene is so well done by Joaquin. And when he gets to that kind of angry moment, like you said, like you can see the logic. You may, you may not agree with the logic, but you can understand and see the logic. Mm-hmm. And then him laying the trap for Murray right at the end, and he's laying the trap because yeah. Murray is scoffing at him. Murray's judging him. And that's the thing that kind of sends him over. He's like, you, you look, first of all, you have no idea what the fuck I've been through. Then you want to use, you wanted to use me for mm-hmm. jokes for your audience. And now that you can't do that and I've turned it around on you, you're trying to reclaim the power here by, by turning the audience against me in a judgmental way. Fuck you. And when he turns and he is, Oh yeah. What am I? And he turns, you don't even know what it can be like or what it does to somebody. It turns them into a homicidal Matelian's last joke. And then, sp- and it's, I love that. There's no hesitation, man. Just wings that gun and fucking kills him. And that's yeah. that. And the two other people are like, you know, huddled on the, and they're freaking out. And his little jig is great because it almost feels like he doesn't know what to do in that moment. 100%. And then so he goes, okay. And then he adjusts himself and goes right up to the camera and just does something before they cut him off. But after he shoots Murray again, which is really interesting, and then drops the gun, which I think is a bit of an homage to taxi driver, but I'm not sure. And then walks over and does. Wait, Basel, I mean, he was yeah. overt about what his references for this movie yes. were. Yes, yes, yes. So it's pretty badass. I love that moment. All right. So my number seven is Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption. Okay, go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The end, the whole end monologue when he's talking about, you know, Andy was right. Got to get busy living, get busy dying after he gets like, um, let go, uh, you know, gets the parole and he start and he does that whole monologue where we see him going and doing what Brooks did, you know, trying to live in that place, trying to you know, ask for permission to pee, looking at the guns, looking at the watches, having the, all those questions with himself. 
then sneaking off and saying, you know, I don't think they're going to miss an old con like me. And then gets in the bus and goes all the way down and gets the letter and then, you know, heads over uh, to see Andy. And I think it's a fantastic monologue. And the way he ends, I guess I just miss my friend. It's just so moving, you know, and it really encapsulates the affection that these two guys had for each other as friends and in a, in a really hopeless place like prison. And especially at that time. Um, and there's so much here that I just thoroughly enjoy in um, Morgan Freeman's monologue. And you could even go all the way to where he, uh, he is doing the monologue about um, the ward. You know, I like mm. to think that. Yeah, the last uh, thing was the last on his thing mind. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other than that bullet was how Andy Dufresne ever got the best of him. You know, they're so great. That old connective tissue, that end monologue is just fantastic, you know? And so um, it just moves me on so many levels. And, and it, you know, like these are our personal lists. So for me, I know that I will watch that monologue a hundred times more than I'll watch another monologue that is technically great and has all the elements of it to be great, but it's not necessarily one that I'll rewatch over and over again. And this one sure. is for sure. Yeah. Um. Okay. So then um, my six is the uh, one from Goodwill Hunting. Um, on the bench? Yeah, on the bench. Yeah, the that was one of the ones where I'm like, I'm pretty sure he'll have that. Yeah, so I'm yeah, going to yeah. just have something different. Yeah, I love that monologue. Just it's a great one. So good. I mean, this is Robin Williams. Man, I mean, the late, great Robin Williams is kind of dropping some incredible work here and talking about, you know, how you can talk all you want about you know everything, but you haven't experienced it, right? And this this really does apply even nowadays, even more so to the YouTube commenting culture or the internet commenting culture. If you actually haven't been out there, if you haven't actually experienced the things that other people have experienced, where the fuck do you get off judging people? Like, go and live life. If you've been sitting in a pampered existence where mom and pop are paying for everything, or you're living in your parents' basement, you because you, you don't have the guts to get out there and get a job and fucking struggle and 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 have you know go through the things you're going through. Where do you get off sitting there and judging other people? You've got to taste the world a little bit more than maybe you've got some kind of leg to stand on in your opinions on certain situations and about certain people. Mm-hmm. So to me, I, you know, I think that monologue carries even more weight in resonance now because, you know, everybody thinks they're smarter than they actually are in certain situations. And certainly um, even someone as legitimately intelligent as Will is in the movie he thinks just because he can conceive of it, he can understand it. But there's a there's a a visceral element or component you've got to experience in order to really fully understand something. And so I think that's what's so great about that monologue, you know. And um, and Robin calls him out and fucking puts him in his place, and then just walks right off. Your move, chief. I love. Yeah, that. you you see one picture and you think you know me. Yeah. Right. You think you can just tear in? You don't have the slightest clue, kid. Uh, and he could, it could, you can still feel the heart and the attachment and connection he's trying to make. Oh, yeah, of course. To Will in that. And it could go the other way. I'm not saying from the actor's portrayal, I'm just saying if the if this was a real life situation, yeah. he could be bitter and disgruntled right. about the situation. Right. Uh, and instead uses it kind of as a teachable moment. Yeah. It, you know, if you're going to judge, at least have an understanding of what you're trying to judge. But unfortunately, you can't yeah. because you're just a young kid. Yeah. And Matt Damon looks crazy young. Yes, he does. In that in that scene. Yes, he does. 
It's like there are other ones where you, when he's with all the other people his age, looks yeah. fine. And you see him next to Williams, and he's like, God, you are so young in this. <laughs> yeah, because I love that scene with him and the dude in the bar. It's such a great scene. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, all right. Well, there we go. That's uh that's our bottom fives here. We're gonna take a quick break, right, Matt? Mm. That we are. We'll see you guys in just a second after this word from our sponsor. Okay. There we are. Now we're getting into our top fives. Hey, so well. at five, yeah, uh, I've got JCVD, which is oh. <laughs> the third time it's made it on my list in the past six months. Nice choice. I can't it's a great argue. Monologue. Great monologue. It's a Fuck great me. monologue. Fuck me. I should have put that on my list. Hands That's down, like... the best acting he's ever done that I've seen, at least. There could be something out there that I've missed. Great choice. Uh, I didn't watch all of Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, Jean-Claude Van Johnson. It could have been a great... I saw like the first two episodes. Maybe it got amazing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe. It was It was fine. Those first two, I was like, I don't really foresee myself watching much more of this. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's in the middle of a tense situation and he is just levitated above and you see the artifice of the set because they're the stage lights and whatnot. And he's not, not talking about what's happening in the movie. He's talking about himself, where he's at in his life, his failings, what he was trying to accomplish and where he fell short, how he can potentially rectify that, what the audience's expectations of him were, what he was trying to deliver, what, how none of that made sense. And yet somehow it made sense. So it's, it's an actor laying themselves bare Mm -hmm. and then he drops back down from that. And we get right back into the movie. And I think it's one take. Yeah, it's definitely one take. It's straight to camera. More incredible, Matt. But we, we, I mean, I think this is the third list I've had it on in the past six months. So we've talked about it. Um, Fair enough. Then my number five is uh, Sylvester Stallone and Rocky Balboa. When he's uh, talking to his kid. Oh, my hand thing? Yeah. You're not going to believe this. You should sit right here. This is going to be great. It was good. And then the whole speech that he delivers, you know, life ain't uh, sunshine and rainbows. It'll knock you down and keep you down um, if you let it. <coughs> but that ain't, that's, yeah, that's a life. Sorry, I guess some call my throat. <coughs> but you got to be able to take the hits and keep going. If you want what you want, Take the hits and keep going. That's how winning is done. Not pointing fingers at other people saying you're not somewhere because of that person or that person. You know, we all need to hear that lesson every once in a while. And it's such a great, great monologue. And he delivers it so well. Look, there are great moments in every Rocky film, even Rocky Five. There are great moments where Stallone's really dialed in and having an interaction. And certainly in Rocky Balboa, this scene, the scene where he's talking about you know, them trying to take away his right to fight. In the scene with Polly, with the, the the beast inside of the beast underneath, mm. well, those are great scenes. But this one, this monologue here is the one that I think I think it's the greatest monologue of the Rocky franchise. To be honest with you, it, it's so well done, and he's speaking to everybody, not just his son. And and there's a real power in that. Some great life lessons in that. And it's the guy who you remember from 1970, whatever, trying to win the title and here he is as a dad trying to pass on some wisdom to his son who he loved we saw him fall in love with from rocky two on you know so it's just an incredible monologue with a lot of weight to it and it's one i go back to all the time um and i have it saved on my itunes to listen to every once in a while you know wow yeah oh yeah 
that one and the uh, and I couldn't put it on my list because it's such a shitty movie. But the Pacino speech in Any Given Sunday. Oh my god, I love that fucking speech. Is it a shitty movie or just it's, it's it's unbalanced? It's a shit movie, my god. I can't tell you. But I mean you may it's like some, it, but I think it's got terrible. some great moments in it. Come on. That speech is certainly one of the great moments. We claw with our fingernails. Um anyway, so yeah, so I love that speech. So uh what's your four? Yeah, I wish I had something to add, but I haven't seen it in so long. I remember the you feel right here. And then the where it's set up, of course, it's at nighttime on the street. You can tell yeah. they just douse the street in water, as yeah. they always do in nighttime shots. <laughs> um, it makes the lighting better. Yeah, it does. It makes it makes for a more dynamic shot. I totally get it, but yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, my four is the uh, Quint speech in in Jaws. Oh, that's a slight punt. Slight punt. Okay. So then, my four is the Goodfellas intro. Uh, go for it. I didn't see it voiceover. I didn't count as monologue in my really? head. I don't, you're an actor. Yeah. So I don't know if that still counts. I'm just like, I don't know. Monologue, you got to deliver that shit. Whereas voiceover, you just keep taking and taking and taking. <laughs> you keep taking and taking on the monologues as well, man. And not You can't, but like the JCPD, on that's one take. <laughs> it is. The GCV, that's a rare thing, though. The, the, you know, most yeah, monologues have, are multiple yeah. takes. I don't know. So I was just like, well, that's voiceover. I didn't even, I didn't look up a definition. Yeah, I don't know if I I am uh, standing on solid ground here, terra firma. I don't have the slightest clue. <laughs> well, to me, they qualify, and, and I, because voice they acting very well could. There's, there's no difference to me voice acting and on camera. It's, you know, you got to make people feel feel the life. And so I love this. Uh, um, you know, it's again like Patton. It's the it's the monologue that introduces you into the world and into this guy, and um, immediately sets up the film for you mm-hmm. in his what he's going after right it ends with that explosion um but it's all my life i wanted to be a gangster exactly exactly hey ma yeah exactly i'll go from rags to riches (laughs) it's so well delivered and and, you know the late great ray Liotta just giving us some fantastic work there in that opening sequence and uh, it's great and so you know what more can i say you guys know the monologue it's it's such a fantastic monologue i love it so there you go uh what's your three yeah, I mean, shit, there's that one. Oh. There's the closing one with the, you know, just an average schnook at that yeah, point. Schnook. But when he stands up, when he stands up from the witness stand and starts yeah. delivering straight to, I, I thought about that one. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not, it's about, not as heavy as the opening, but I, I, I hear you. Well, the world building on the opening is, yeah. as you said, it's perfect. It just sets yeah. you right up for, here's the idealized, you know, version of what I wanted. Right. But right. it's juxtaposed against... Uh, you know, having a semi-alive person in the trunk right. of your car that you eventually stab. Ugh. Yeah, and you find out later it's a knife that you took from Pesci's mom's, you know, table. That's oh. pretty brutal. Oh. Yeah, agreed. Super brutal. Um, all right. So, like I said, what's your three? Uh, my three is uh, network with the corporation. Oh, nice. Oh, dude, I know you love that monologue. Great choice, man. It's my everybody oh. goes to the other one. I'm mad yeah, as hell. Yeah. I think the corporate because the corporations is that's honest. I don't disagree with you, Matt. I think that's the better monologue. That's yeah. why I didn't put the other one on my list. I think that is the better monologue. I wish I'd remembered I would have put it on my list too. That's great. The, the one true religion is dollars, rubles, yeah. or Deutschmarks, Deutschmarks rather, just whatever, right through. There are no nations, there's just corporations. And <laughs> 
you you hear it succinctly broken down. You're like, it's very true. He's pissed off at him because the trade deal from the Arabs has gone through. Those are, and he's like, they took some of our money. That money is supposed to come back now. That is the way of the world. And he's just, <laughs> uh, it's 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 disgusting and accurate. Yeah, simultaneously, sadly accurate. Yes. Yeah, it it yeah. rings just as much truth today as it did when they first shot that yeah 50 years ago yeah at this point almost 55 you know 45 ish even more so today i would yeah. say than, than the corporations back. are even larger even more powerful yeah a bit of a what do you call that a foreshadowing of what we were going to see in our in our world yeah, all over the place like in every country right there's no one who's immune to that no speech at all if they've got tv stations um owned by private people private corporations and they're trying to push narratives absolutely but everything in their daily life is provided to them by a corporation of some kind or another yeah exactly yep. like every single thing everywhere you are in the world you deal with corporations nonstop. right 100 percent correct 100 percent correct so even now we're recording this on a corporate thing to put up on a corporate thing so yeah that's yeah to send out to people over corporate internet. Yep. Uh, and we have to adhere to the corporate rules in order for you all to watch or listen to what we're putting up on a corporate internet. Yeah. Just so that because I was I was watching that because I watched a TikTok thing recently and this, you know, Texas was going, you know, the Texas GOP got a little crazy the other day. It was like, oh, you know, Biden's not a legitimate. We're going to secede or hinted at seceding. And this technically woman, you don't have you can't do it but go ahead yeah, yeah go ahead you can say whatever you want but there's no legal basis for you to do that that's fine go exactly ahead. this woman dropped a two-minute tiktok i think two minute 15 seconds and just eviscerated the idea of them seceding because of all the shit that they would lose that they do not have the infrastructure to replace on the fly no. if they were to secede i mean they, federal stuff cellular towers all shit that i didn't even consider would be completely cut off and that would be so crazy and you'd almost be primed for an invasion from mexico if they wanted to take over texas again and make it part of their country yeah, they'd have a much yeah. bigger military at that point exactly because we wouldn't be defending texas mm. yeah so yeah technically not although would we let texas be subsumed by mexico would we then stand up because we've we've been allied for so long maybe yeah the oil and everything i don't know i don't yeah there's yeah it's a fair point if we but, get the more advantageous trade scenario we would still weekend <laughs> yeah as much as they you know potentially would be our former brothers we'd keep them under our boot and be like okay well we're getting crude oil at this price right and right. there are no tariffs to use the ports in houston yeah we'll come in and, and save you but this is the price yeah yeah, yeah. we're gonna exact certain things uh, but yeah, the whole we're going to succeed, uh, succeed and be like, okay, that is utterly meaningless. And then I read a couple lawyers uh, talking about how there is no legal justification. And in fact, this has been shot down several times in the <laughs> this ruling by the Supreme Court, this ruling by the Supreme Court, this law. Once this happened here, basically uh, all glimpses of that yeah. were shattered 250 years ago. Yeah. Okay. But it, you know, it appeals to their base, right? Right, and uh, that's what they wanted. Yeah, well, yeah, it's politics. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So, what's your three again? Sorry, 
that uh, network, the corporation. Oh, sorry. So then my three is uh, uh, Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards, that opening monologue with uh, where he's talking to the guy in the. Um, I was trying to get house. the hostages. Yeah. Or yeah. whatever. Oof, that monologue is gorgeous. Uh, just from top to bottom, how he leads Homie into that situation and then essentially gets him to give away everything just by saying all the stuff that he's saying and leading into the, I'm sorry, not leading, but the, all the stuff that he's saying and the kind of walking him down that path and slowly disarming him step by step. And he has a mini version of it when he's talking about the cream and the dessert and all of that with mm -hmm. um, Melanie Laurent in uh, later on in the film. And it's just so good. But that opening, man, that opening monologue is chilling, unsettling. And it's maybe the greatest monologue to introduce someone uh, into the public consciousness that you most uh, the world didn't know. Um, and it's such a great monologue to introduce yourself as an actor as well. So I just love that thing from top to bottom. Uh, yeah. Christoph Waltz went from a person I'd never heard of to, wow, this dude is great. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And thankfully he shot what the three musketeers movie before this was released. <laughs> so that was technically his follow-up project, I believe. Forgot about so, that. yeah, I saw, I remember seeing that. It was like, a, I can't remember what I was doing, but I had it on the background because I was trying to do, you know, some sort of project. Yeah, yeah. And just to have a movie on in the background. And then I didn't know Christoph Waltz was in it. <laughs> and suddenly Christoph was like, he was in this piece of shit? him and uh, what mila jovovich and i couldn't yeah. i can't remember who else I, i'm sure if i just looked at the mdb I'd like, oh yeah he played such and such but those yeah. are the two that it was that bad. jump out so bad <laughs> uh, i was it was a terrible movie oh it's not the it's not the one with orlando bloom as well isn't he in that one he very well could be yeah 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 james corden's in it too is there as the musketeers like uh idiot friend who's always eating yeah, yeah, Ray Stevenson is in this. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Fucking Matthew McFadden. Wow. Luke Evans. Wow. There's a lot of people in this. I guess that I totally forgot about. Mads Mikkelsen is in this. Holy shit! No wonder he wow. said okay. I don't even remember. Him it's like half this. the cast of fucking Inglorious. Till Schweiger's in this as well. The German guy from Inglorious Bastards. Wow. And Logan Lerman, who's the main guy. <laughs> Lord Almighty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's a big cast. Goodness gracious. Wow, well, man, when you so... have a story on this caliber, you got to. <laughs> I just don't know how you go. The guy who did all the Resident Evil movies. Yeah, all right. I'll take the job. Why not? <laughs> well, you knew Mila was going to be in it. Right. Of course. That's his, his wife. Of course she was going to be in it. Yeah. Then after that, who knows? Maybe it was just a. He met such and such and they really got along and. Yeah, Maybe been friends with this person over here for a very long time certainly possible man certainly possible um okay so what's your two uh my deuce is uh braveheart oh yeah great choice go ahead man the would you trade this day yeah until all the you know this day to all the days before you die for one chance just one chance just one chance uh still get goosebumps i still love that scene i still love mel i could i to the life of me for the life of me rather i can't tell you what he closes it with the <laughs> don't know i do not know 
I have watched that scene. I don't know how many times. What? So many times. Yeah, they'll no never idea. take our freedom. That's what they. <laughs> yeah, they never take our freedom. But after that, he says. He does. Two more distinct lines. What? As he's like, just in full rage type oh, of mode. Okay. And then maybe it's in Scottish. Maybe it is. That that's the only thing I've ever concluded of. That's got to be. Wow. Maybe it's a Scottish phrase, like a war cry type of thing. Paul Cree is with us. Paul, you're you're a UK guy. What what does he say at the end there? What what are those last two lines? Yeah, any clue? Like any clue? Is that I famous William Wallace that. phrase that I don't know? <laughs> William Wallace catchphrase. Yeah, maybe there's one ascribed to him that that. Oh yes, he's been known in these parts <laughs> for having coined this specific phrase. Oh man. Uh, okay. I have no idea what it is. It's like a guttural. Does he run across the thing? I don't know. Nope. After he know. says right at the end freedom, and then he's charging. I want to say, as we're looking at the screen to the left, screen left. Oh yeah. And it just. I guess he does run across and say something. No idea what it is. Yeah. It's probably just him uh, yelling. But the, the thing is, there's a change yeah. in inflection where it seems like they're words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. All right. There you go. Never take. There you go. Uh, good stuff. All right. So that's your number two. That is my deuce. So my do my uh, two is the punt from earlier, the Indianapolis scene. Oh, love that monologue, man. What a What a construction from top to bottom, you know. And a, a great performance from Robert Shaw. Authentic. He starts out, you know, like he's the kingfish amongst the three of them. Stops Dreyfus from being an idiot with that hand on his forearm. And then goes into the thing and immediately, you know, the smile leaves Dreyfus's face because he knows the Indianapolis. And then Scheider's just watching and he's just kind of slowly walking him through this thing. And talking about you know the, the secret mission nobody knew about it then you know the what the feeling was like when they got in the water seeing the sharks for the first time and rolling up on his friend was just bobbing up and down and then at the end he's you know the waiting for the plane what was my turn on the front line was the longest wait in my entire life and he says i'll never wear a life jacket again there's just so much in that last line i'll never wear a life jacket again you know uh, because god knows what horrors and it kind of you, you know, you can make it symbolic because it can connect to um, um, PTSD from any war, right? It doesn't have to be this situation with sharks. In essence, the sharks could be the Germans or the Italians or the Japanese or mm -hmm. whoever, you know, and vice versa. You know, it's just it's symbolic of that. And so what he's talking about, in essence, is, you know, he's never let go of the horror of what he experienced during war. In his case, it was sharks in the water. Um, and so he's spent his whole life trying to go after him. So there's so much in that monologue, man. And it's also a very specific time in military technology to where you could get that amount of troops out into an area, but yes. if you have to right. do a search and rescue to get them yeah. back, unless they specifically pinpointed, you know, the spot that they were going down. Yeah. And you could get somebody out there quick enough, they're going to drift for days. Yeah. You can send a boat out there to try and get them, but we don't, they, there is no satellite imagery. There aren't any reconnaissance jets. Right. There are, right. yeah. 
you can only travel as fast as the fastest boat and yeah. you're out in the middle of the Pacific, which is just a vast wasteland of undrinkable water <laughs> and death below, apparently. Oof. Yeah. So just true. to be bobbing out there as, you know, hors d'oeuvres for sharks for days on end. Oh, and then there's the discussion of after they've been in the water for that long, once they are rescued, you have to be careful of how you pull them out of the water and whatnot, because they're so waterlogged, you can tear oh, their skin straight off. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, there's another horror on top of all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah, it's it's just a to have lived through that a genuine hell on earth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's brutal. That that whole scene is just it evokes so many different emotions. Um, all right, so what's your number one? Uh, my number one is, dude, coffee's for closers. <laughs> oh, the Alec Baldwin one? Dude, is it's so one? good. Are you kidding wow, me? That's, that thing dude, was created for the movie. I got no res- I got no issue with that. Yeah, great the stuff. balls of saying, hey, you know that play that everybody loves and is that winning David every Mabin award? Play. Yeah. That everybody agrees is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> We're actually going to add a scene to that yeah. with an actor you may or may not know at this point. Kind of young, handsome, yeah. handsome as all hell. Yeah. And he comes in and just, he makes the movie. That scene makes the movie for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love the I love the movie as a whole. But if you take that scene out, I don't know what it has the punch. That's why it was so genius to add that monologue. Because that monologue kind of lays the groundwork uh, in so, at a yeah. critical time in the movie, right? When they're all like wondering what the fuck is going on. And here comes Alec Baldwin to drop the hammer. Yeah, the oh. biggest swinging dick. Right, exactly. To say to them, this is what's on the line. Like, if I, you know, Spacey Williamson is, is too mealy-mouthed to get it across to you guys, I'm going to slickly get across to you guys exactly. Salesman to salesman. I'm going to tell you what the fuck is really happening. And then drops all the shit that he drops and goes uh-huh. after each of them personally. Yeah. What's called? my name? Fuck you is my name. Yeah, that's right. You're like, oh yeah, you see this watch? This watch costs more than your car. I love that. And the Ed Harrison's like, if you're so great, what are you doing here? And just the it was personal favor. They asked me to come down here and I told him, go ahead and fire him. They're dead. Yeah. Fire Try to think. I'm here to save you. Oh, it's just over and over and over again. And what's brilliant about the scene is that they don't have Ricky Roma in the scene because Ricky is essentially that version of that character for that crew. So Ricky doesn't need to be in that scene because Ricky has has been doing better than all of them. So everybody who is in that scene is supposed to be there to get berated um, by him, you know, from, uh, from Jack Lemmon all the way down to Ed Harris to Alan Arkin, everybody in there. You know, it's great. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass balls. Yeah, then he actually pulls out brass balls. Brass balls. Which should kill the scene. You're like, no, why do you... It should, yes. It should. It is a stupid prop and yet really works. The look on Jack Lemon's face as yeah. Baldwin is standing, uplording over him, yeah. and just the seething rage that is boiling, but he's holding it back. Just this look wild uh, you know wild-eyed something yeah. you rarely see from jack lemon i don't know man you take that that scene out that movie is good to me but with that scene it crushes not many movies emasculate ed harris and the fact yeah. that there's a moment where he's actually emasculated by alec baldwin in that back and forth is saying something you know 
He leaves the watch on his desk too until he picks it back up again to leave. So great. You know, second prize, second prize set of steak knives. Third prize is your fight. ABC, always be closing. Always be closing. Get mad, you sons of yeah. bitches. Um, These are the Glengarry leads, <laughs> but you don't get them. <laughs> Just the stupid. And then he hands him over his shoulder to Spacey. Spacey's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't get them. To give them to you would be like giving them away. Yeah. yeah. I could go out and make 15000 tonight, two hours, pal. What can you do? Can you? Can you? You, Levine, you call yourself a closer, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Just, <laughs> it's so gross. It shouldn't work. No. And yet it really does. Fuck, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it does go higher, man. It's been a while since I've seen it. And look, I directed the play in college. And I wanted to put the scene in there, but you know, the play, yeah, the play does not the film. It doesn't work. Um, but I had the scene in there. I had the monologue in there for the first three weeks of production. I had the actor work on it. And then in the end, I sat down with him. I was like, it's not, it doesn't fit. And he was like, I agree with you. It doesn't fit. And it was great. So it was great. We could kill it, but it's so perfect for the movie. You're right, Matt. It's perfect for the movie. man. Yeah. I mean, theater is just a different animal. Yeah. And the way they set things up in both, the acts on a stage it doesn't make sense to do the monologue um and I, I know there are productions who've done the monologue included the monologue but it didn't make sense for the one i was doing so um, but i love that monologue for fuck's sake it's so good um okay well there you go that's uh oh no wait what's my number one my number, what is one, your number one is uh tears in the rain the rucker howard uh monologue in blade runner i assumed you were gonna have that Oh yeah, I can't not have that. And as I was doing pulling the list, you know, I was putting it kept moving up higher and higher. Um, because I mean, I just there's so much. I love that movie, and I love that monologue because it's talking about you know the perils of existence and what it means, life, all of it. You know, it it's all there and what he witnessed, what he saw, and this idea of whatever we experience as human beings or replicants, those memories die with us, and it's almost like all this gold that we're taking with us that no one else will fully understand. Uh, and it's a shame. Uh, and it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful treatise on life. And um, it's one that I can watch at different times and just get really affected by it, moved by it. And Rutger Howard's incredible performance of holding that dove until he dies and lets it go. And mm-hmm. there's just so much in it, man. And, you know, Harrison's reaction, just kind of watching him all crumpled on the corner there. Uh, it's great. You know, so I don't know more I can add to it. We've talked about that not long before. So, yeah, it's while uh, I don't hold Blade Runner as the greatest sci fi film of all mm-hmm. time, I know that's a, an opinion you that you yeah. hold and others hold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that speech is just stellar. And the fact that the like tears in the rain, I think that was a Howard, uh, Rutger Howard yeah. uh, improv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just came up with on his own it's like wow that really makes the movie well the descriptions in the in the monologue are incredible you know ships on fire off the shores of orion you know and talking about tanner's gate i think he says all of that is just like you mentally your mind visualizes as much as it can exactly what he's talking about which makes the monologue even more epic and expansive mm-hmm. it's just fantastic stuff man brilliant things um, okay, well, there you go. That's our separate uh, uh, top 10 monologues from films. And we're going to put this list together. Oh, uh, I rearranged my whole office. So I got to go get the, um, the bongos. I'll be right back. Sorry about that. 
All right. And then, Sam, we will be getting to your list shortly. So, Jaws Quince Beach might be number one since that's. So, I'm going to go ahead and put that as number one. And then. I'm thinking maybe Glengarry 2, then Pulp 3. What do we put at 1? Jaws, the Quint speech, just yeah, because yeah. we have... Higher. Yeah, it's 4 yeah. for me and, uh, what, 2 for you? Yeah, 2 for me, yeah. So that seems a natural. Glengarry is 1-7? I'm cool with that at number 2. Um, okay, then the next common we have is Pulp at 7-9 yeah. or something. Okay, that's a little bit lower, so we should go yeah, to higher we, numbers, right? Other than that, do we we don't have any other commonality, do no, we? No, I don't think we do. Um, which is good. So, what's your okay? What, what's your number two? I guess is it on there already? Uh, Brave. Well, we don't have Blade Runner, so oh, Blade yeah. Runner. That's my number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Main. Uh, Braveheart is my number two. Okay. Do we already have your two? And yeah, it's Jaws, the in the app. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh your three. Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards. All right. That would be up against uh, the corporation speech from Network. Ooh. I'll go ahead and flip the coin. Where are we at right now? What number are we on? Uh this would be for number five. Oh wow. Okay. Well, you know, quality wins out. So that is network. <laughs> I'll tell Tarantino you said so. Go ahead. Go ahead. Be like, listen, it lost to the corporation speech from Ed Beatty. And be like, you know what? Be justified. Um, so, do, do. I almost put the Reservoir Dogs one in there. Had a few. I was like, yeah. all right, how many Tarantinos do I want to buy? All right, why don't we do pulp next? Okay. That's seven. That is number seven. Okay. Um I got the Goodfellas intro at four. All right. At two spots left. I have my number five. So do I. Oh, here we go. What's your five again? Sylvester Stallone from Rocky Balboa, man. Rocky. You're telling me that's better than JCVD? I mean, yes. One's a better actor. You're that's, lying to yourself. No. I know. John Claude should be doing more. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. It's people won't give him opportunities. <laughs> well, we're about to find out. We'll let the fates decide. Here we go. <laughs> oh, the fates agree. JCVD. Oh, ridiculous. Ridiculous. And is that Rocky Balboa or Balboa? No, Rocky Balboa, yeah. Okay. What would you call that monologue? Oh. In the palm of my hand? No, no. That's that's not the monologue. Um, name, name. Hold on. Uh, monologue. Uh, what do they have? Speech to his son is what they're calling it here. You or no one is going to hit any harder than life. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. 
the top 10 monologues from movies. Yeah. At number 10. Rocky Balboa's speech to his son. At number nine. JCVD's life dissection. At number eight. Goodfellas, the intro. At number seven. Pulp Fiction, watch. At number six. Inglorious Bastards, Hans Landa's introduction. At number five. Network, the corporation speech from Ned Beatty. At number four. Braveheart, freedom. At number three. Blade Runner, Tears in the Rain. At number two. Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, coffee is for closers. And our number one monologue from a movie is In Jaws with Quint's speech to his uh, fellow shipmates. The doll's eyes. Uh, there it is. All right. What's uh, what do we got here for San Fernando? San, San Fernando. Yeah, what's got says. Hey guys, here's my list. Wasn't sure if you needed a small blurb for each monologue, but I did one just in case. Okay. Thanks for picking my topic, and I look forward to hearing your list. Millions to choose from, but I basically made my list based on monologues I go back and watch because they're just that good. Mm. So there are some great monologues from movies I just never revisit. At number 10, he's got the American president. What? Okay. Lewis confronts President Shepard. Okay. Uh, he says, I'm probably the only person who would pick this, but Michael J. Fox is perfect in this scene, and Sorkin's script is so good and relevant that if you go and rewatch it, the argument Fox makes is so fitting for the world of politics today. I'm starting to sense he's got a very strong Michael J. Fox attachment. Connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. At nine, he's got the Godfather, I believe, in America. Oh, that's a good one. I like it. It's a good one. My list. That's a good one. I uh, put there isn't a better way to start the Godfather than a monologue that is essentially the thesis for Michael's story. So well des- uh, delivered and perfectly foreshadows Michael's struggle. Yeah. Um, at eight, he's got Dead Poet Society. What will be your verse? What will your verse be, rather? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, he said, I go back to this movie all the time, and the main reason is for Keating's inspirational speeches. There are so many to pick from, but this is my favorite from this movie. Mm. Seven, a few good men. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> I won't read his blurb because we are in agreement. It's six. He's got Saving Private Ryan. Captain okay. Miller wants to go home oh, to his wife. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, he says, Roka is going to be disappointed, but this scene is what makes this movie special. Which scene? The one with his wife talking to his wife? You mean the one about being a, a, a mathematician? Or the one later uh, when they're about when they're about to go to the final battle when they're in the quiet? Is that where it's at? Uh I'm assuming he's now there is the yeah, the final battle, or it could be as he's dying, earn this, but he doesn't talk about that. No, so I think it's when he's out there with Damon as they're listening to Edith pee off. Yeah, I think you're right. And he he's starts like, to tell him about being from back home and his wife and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. It's, it's a good choice. I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna go crazy about that. So um, um so okay. five, he's got do the right thing, radio Raheem's love and oh. hate. I can't tell you how hard it was to take that one off my list. I really was mad. I had to remove it. It's a great he choice. Said, man. Uh, Radio Rahim telling the camera the story of love and hate yeah. just makes his tragic ending all the more heartbreaking. I agree. Uh, four, he's got Jaws, uh, Quince, USS Indianapolis. Yes. Three, Shawshank Red's final parole hearing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the setup of the previous parole hearing just makes this last one, uh, last time resonate all the more. It's Morgan Freeman's best acting for me, and nothing even comes close to. To kill a mockingbird, Atticus's closing argument. I, yeah, I, I stay away from the court stuff because, in my mind, I'm like, ah, the court stuff's easy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, sure. To me, I just stayed away from it. But I, it's a good, it's a good one to add. 
Uh, he says, it's my favorite book, and somehow the movie does it justice. Gregory Peck will be forever Atticus Inch to me. And this speech is exactly why he is so beloved. Yeah. And then the number one is Goodwill Hunting, Sean's bench speech. Yeah, there you go. Um, and then he's got honorable mentions for days. Oh, really? Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Belfort inspires degenerates. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> uh, Miracle, uh, Herb Brooks's speech. Oh, yeah, the... One that uh, Kurt Russell has. Hell yeah. Yeah. Pulp Fiction, the Ezekiel. Yes. Uh, Caddyshack, Dalai Lama. Um, Fences, I Had Dreams. Oh, that's such a good speech. Yeah. Uh, he's got your Rocky Balboa. That's right. Dark Knight, Why So Serious. Um, when Harry Met Sally, Harry Loves Sally. Independence Day. Oh, yeah. The, the world's independence. Right. That's and the ending of uh, When Harry Met Sally. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Greatest Dictator, and then uh, oh yeah, the Breakfast Club, Andrew Carr's Confession. So we got some solid uh, honorable mentions yeah, in there. Good choices there, man. Absolutely, nice shot, nice choices. Um, all right, well, thank you so much, Sam, and thanks to everybody who's um. Oh, right after Rabisi dies, that's what Sam's clarifying. Oh yeah, so that's the one where he's like, "What's the pool up on me now?" about what I do for a living. And that's when he delivers that model about being a, um, a teacher. Yeah, he's a teacher. And then everybody that. stops what they're doing. Yeah. Good call, Sam. Those are some great choices by the man. Uh, and thanks to everybody who listened to us or watched us today. We uh, always appreciate it here doing our top 10 movie monologues on the uh, top 10 show. Uh, Matt, what do we have to tell them as we wrap up? You can follow the show on Twitter at top 10 show. We'd love to have you. And on Instagram and YouTube, it is forward slash the top 10 podcast with the number 10. So please hit us up. And uh, you can follow me anywhere at Matt Nost. If you'd like to check out another movie-related show, I do settle the score. Uh, and uh, Dropping Dimes is on hiatus. So uh, that is it for me this week. Yeah, before he fades out, uh, you can follow me <laughs> at The Roka <laughs> Don't know why my camera's doing this today. You can follow me at The Roka Says on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, Twitch is The Outlaw Nation. Uh, and uh, over on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roka Says, and also my other two podcasts, the cinephiles and the geek buddies. All right. That's it from us. Y'all take care of yourselves. Don't forget topic thunder this week. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of the top 10 show. Take care. Peace. Bye.